0: Uh, playoffs don't talk about it. playoffs you kidding me
1: playoffs
0: all right hey ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the orlando soccer show my name is austin david gavin eubank is here with me as well as mike ramajo he is joining us for the first time in quite a while and uh obviously special occasion orlando city getting ready to play a playoff game we ended the show by saying hey orlando city getting ready to play a playoff game and we're starting this show by saying the exact same thing, because it doesn't get old. It really doesn't. Uh, Gavin, how are you doing? And then Mike, how are you doing as well?
1: I'm doing pretty well. I mean, as you have alluded to, Austin, it is a big week. Not just Orlando City playing its very first playoff game in Major League Soccer history. But fleets are a thing, and Twitter has made Twitter even more like every other social media platform. So that's, you know, that's fun and exciting.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, for me, it feels good to be back. It's been almost what a year that uh that I haven't recorded with you guys, so it's definitely uh good to be back, and it's gonna be awesome. You know, Orlando City playing its first playoff match ever, MLS playoff match. So uh, I think we're in for a treat because NYCFC, Orlando City, looks like both teams finished out the season in, in good form. Obviously, Orlando City lost that last game of the season, but overall, it, it, it we're gonna be in for Quite a treat on Saturday at Explorer Stadium.
1: You know, I saw a tweet the other day just how uncanny it is that Orlando City's very first game ever was against FC New York. Their very first game in a Major League Soccer was against NYCFC. Their very first game at Explorer was against NYCFC. And now their very first playoff game is also against NYCFC. So that's a fun little like Orlando City, New York City connection. Orlando
0: and New York soccer forever tied to each other in one way or another. It is kind of crazy and also fun fact uh, playing and then eventually coaching that FC New York team, current Academy director Paul Shaw. Just uh, another fun fact.
2: It's good enough It's good enough to pump this rivalry because I think it's the most underrated rivalry in MLS and what you know what better way to inaugurate uh, ML- uh, Orlando City's first playoff match? against a, a rival in New York City FC expansion rivals.
1: Yeah, especially yeah. considering how close these two teams have been competitively. I mean, obviously not standing-wise, but when they get together, competitively they're very close throughout the years.
0: Right. And and that's kind of the thing that's fueling this quote-unquote rivalry you know a lot of fans are like oh it's not a rivalry but like these two teams have their destinies intertwined with each other so much so that it's almost forcing itself to be a rivalry just based on how things have played out I mean last year with the U.S. Open Cup it went down to penalties and the running of the wall like there are memorable moments from these two teams playing each other and that's what makes up a rivalry the fans don't like each other. Like it, 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 all plays together.
2: I mean, yeah, yeah, you, you can even go further, further back in, in time. I mean, you remember the, that that hat trick from Kyle Aaron back in the inaugural season, the f- the first game at a, then at Orlando City Stadium. That was that was quite a, a way to kind of inaugurate the uh, the 2017 season with Kyle Aaron coincidentally scoring that opening goal. Um, it was quite electric. Um, and then it it just every time these two teams play. There, it's just it just it's it's there it it's a natural rivalry it's not forced and I mean with with the stakes now higher than ever I mean this is going to be orlando City's I think we, we've kind of said all, all the season what matches it's it's which which match so far is the most important match for orlando City we, we can go back to laFC being that beat that laFC victory at the MLS's back tournament that that it was orlando City's most important victory in it in its club. But I think now we're taking it a step further now, right? Because we're, in ML- you know, this is ML- This is playoff uh, soccer right now, and I think I think we can kind of look back and kind of see that this match now is probably gonna be the most important match in Orlando City history. So th-
0: uh, it really just depends on what ends up happening. Yeah. like everything from here on out is is going to determine the the severity of the games, you know, going forward. And- Obviously, if they lose, then it, it doesn't mean anything.
2: Um, nope, Does nope. any
1: of this feel a little smaller to you guys because of COVID and because that we're going to be looking at a stadium with only three to four thousand people? So like the hype factor of the actual game itself isn't quite as big as what you would traditionally see. Because that's yeah. kind of how uh, I feel 100%. Like, like no, yeah, COVID uh, it, and the exactly. way the season's gone, like just all of that together.
0: Right. No, you're a hundred percent right because of the way that the the hype is not been as prevalent obviously fans aren't going to be able to attend as much uh the club has done what they can to try and hype up the game they started the light the city purple campaign they have sent out light bulbs to all the media which by the way shout out to orlando city's communications department for delivering a light bulb to me um and you know they're they're doing their best to try and hype up everything uh but there's only so much that the team and the fans can do simply because a, it is one not going to be nationally televised. It's going to be on Univision Deportes. Two, there's going to be a lot of college football going on during the day at the same time. Kickoff is at noon, which uh <laughs> say with that what you will, but it's it's not ideal in most circumstances, especially with college football ha- happening right at the same time. And then three with with COVID and not having as many people to be able to go there. Um, just kind of all plays into the the dampening down of the hype around this playoff run.
2: It should be a good day though on Saturday. Um obviously we're experiencing a little bit of a of a cool front right now in Central Florida. So mm-hmm. I'm looking at the seven day forecast Saturday, uh I mean partly cloudy, but you know you know how Florida is, right? It's it it just varies and it's the the high is it's forecasted to be eighty degrees. So I think it should be a good a good it's gonna be a good type of weather to play some soccer in, so, um, Mm -hmm. so, I mean, I think it's gonna be, I mean, yeah, it's gonna be a good one. I'm looking forward to it.
0: For, for those who listened to last week's show, we kind of delved into a little bit of NYCFC and just kind of how they match up with Orlando City, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about it now, uh, and just for the rest of the show, what we're going to do since we basically did a show last week and we talked about everything that needed to be talked about then, we're gonna talk about Our end of season awards you know like MLS gave out all their awards why can't we but just for Orlando City Uh, and then we'll kind of talk about um, a little a few other things that Orlando City has done and potential uh, players coming back for this game on Saturday so without further ado let's just talk about NYCFC and what they bring to the table Uh, we, we delved onto it a little bit last week about their potent attack and how they've been over the last couple games and they've they've been very good attacking-wise, but they haven't played great defenses. And I mentioned this last week. Orlando City is a much better defensive team than the teams that NYCFC has played over their last three games. I think that's going to be a very big factor when it comes to this game on Saturday.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you... I mean, just the tail of the tape between these two teams, how closely they have been this season. I mean, 40 goals for Orlando, 37 for NYC. Both teams allowed just 25 goals this season. Now, NYC FC, like you said, they haven't been playing a lot of great defensive teams, and that kind of goes to the fact that they've put up nearly 100 more shots than Orlando did this season and 45 more on target out of those 100 more shots. So they're going to be two very tightly contested teams, Um But their run of form of late certainly shows that they are very capable of coming into Orlando, like I said last week, and and pulling out a victory. You know, it's not going to be a game that Orlando City fans might have been more confident about two months ago, but you know, that's that's just where things stand now. When you look at the recent run of forms,
2: it'll be interesting too because I mean, you you look at the schedule. um, I mean, obviously, apart from it, this being the the best ever regular season in orlando city history uh in terms of the mls era uh, orlando city never really picked up back-to-back losses i mean you can count the mls back final and then the restart of the regular season but in in terms of i mean that's the only time they picked up back-to-back losses um so i mean orlando city has shown they can consistently respond to losses and pretty much just go on a run in itself so I'm, I'm more interested in seeing First, on how Orlando City, how Orlando, how Oscar Pareja is going to man, man put a, a a competitive squad on Saturday, and how that competitive squad responds to that loss against Nashville, and and if they respond with a victory, obviously, yeah. I mean, keep in mind this is a you know a, a knockout tournament now. You win or go home. So Orlando City wins on to the next one, and it's I'm going to be more interested in seeing how they respond and if they are able to respond with a victory. If they're if they have enough, I mean, I'm pretty sure they have enough talent. That this squad is showing that they have depth. But I'm more interested in seeing how they can how far they can go in the playoffs. So
1: yeah, I mean, I I mentioned it last week to that point, Mike. You know, when you look at Orlando's losses this season since MLS is back, you're talking about that loss at Miami, which followed up with twelve straight unbeaten, and then it ended with that again loss at Miami, and then they followed up with three of their best games in the last couple of months on a three-game winning streak against Atlanta, Montreal, and Columbus before losing on the final game of the season in a game that they should have closed out um, if it weren't for a couple of those late goals. So the response to this that this team is going to give is certainly going to be important, but there is enough credible evidence to say that Oscar Pereja, especially given that they've had two weeks now to really forget about that game against Nashville where the focus has been able to be solely on New York City FC, they can come out, they're at home, they'll have the whole, you know the energizing support, albeit smaller than what they'd be what they'd be used to. They'll have that support there to just pounce from the get-go. Especially considering, you know, that is a style that we've seen for them. So there'll be even more reason for them to be able to pull that off this time around.
2: No, I, I think if Orlando City can come out the same way. If you look at that Nashville match, that, that those first 30 minutes, Orlando City was not only fast. They were—I don't want to say they were clinical, but I mean they, they had enough. I mean, in mind you, they weren't playing. Or Oscar Pareja, they didn't put a, a strong lineup because he—I mean, at that time he was rotating squads because remember they did, but we're talking about a, Orlando team was playing for almost three months in a row: Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. Or but obviously with with this two week break, pretty much, if Orlando City can replicate the way they played against Nashville in that first half. I mean, mm-hmm. that that was. I mean, Austin was there. We were there. It, it, they were just wow. I, I was amazed, and obviously, the end result didn't really pan out as as everyone hoped. But if if Orlando can kind of pull that pull that Nashville performance those first thirty minutes, and and put it against New York City, uh, I think I mean obviously it favors Orlando massively.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think the biggest the biggest thing for Orlando is getting players back from injury. The only person that's currently on the injured reserve, I believe is Dom Dwyer. Uh, Davi Loera and Michael Holliday are on there for undisclosed reasons. Uh, but Uri Rossell is off. Joao Moutinho is off. Uh, they're hoping to get Pedro Galese and Sebas Mendez back. Uh, apparently there was a report from ESPN today that said that MLS is going to be paying for charter flights to fly those guys back so that they don't have to quarantine. Uh, That could be massive for this team, having Galese in goal and Sebas in the midfield, either starting or with just depth in general. And then for, you know, NYCFC's sake, uh, the last time these two teams played, it was a 1-1 draw back in October. And then since that point, they played Columbus, Montreal, Toronto, Red Bulls, Chicago. They got beat by Columbus right after the Orlando City game 3-1. They beat Montreal 3-1, who Montreal is not very good they beat at uh, Toronto one nothing uh and Toronto didn't have a very good end to the season. They beat NYCFC 5 to 2 and Chicago 4 to 3. I think the the biggest thing for this NYCFC team is they're they're vulnerable defensively or can be uh but they can be potent offensively if you give them a chance. You know, that that Chicago 4-3 win doesn't say anything special. It's like, yeah, they scored 4, but they let in 3. I think Orlando can, if they play their game, if they have Mauricio Pereira right in the middle kind of pulling the strings, I think this is a very winnable game for them, especially playing at home.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, this team is going to put shots on goal. Um, so you mentioned being able to have Pedro Gillespie back. That's going to be huge, um, especially to possibly get Uri Rossell and Jean Motinho back in the lineup. That's going to be important as well, but it, it's going to come down to how well the defense plays when New York City gets into those rhythms because obviously we know the ebb and flows of these games are going to go back and forth and New York City is going to have their share their their run of play where they're probably the better team so it's going to be critical for Orlando to keep that shape keep that strong defensive combination that they've had all year and to be able to stand up and keep those shots from going in the back of the net I mean that sounds obvious you know you the team who scores the fewest goals loses and that's what you want to do but with the way that Orlando's kind of slipped a little bit defensively with the way that especially the way that we saw against nashville it's going to be important to be able to stop those those attacks when they start to become relentless from turning into something you know dangerous and
2: and, and speaking of, of of the attack and i think uh, I'm not talking about new york city but orlando city besides the fact that they have options on in the attack i, I i'm curious to know how oscar Paredes is going to I mean, put it like this: uh, you have you have Mateus Ias, who finally was able to play some minutes in the last games of the season, but really small minutes. Not the, obviously, Oscar Pereira said that he wants to kind of put Mateus in, in, I guess, slowly progress him into the uh, into the lineup. But we're talking about playoffs now. I mean, obviously, yeah, you're going to start Daryl DK. That's that's a no-brainer. But how do you kind of how do you kind of insert Mateus into that lineup? Um, even Alexander Alvarado, who really hasn't played that much too. Uh, do 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 you have that? Do you put that much confidence and trust in a, in a player that hasn't been with the squad, hasn't had a preseason, and and, and put them put those two put those two players um, to play important minutes in a playoff scenario type of match?
0: I think with what Oscar has done in the past it is shown that he is willing to take risks on players in clutch situations with IS and Alvarado. I don't think they come into the game unless they're needed, mm-hmm. uh, depending on game management. You know, if, if you're up one, nothing or, or two to one, you're going to go much more defensively and, and, and you know, maybe the five at the back, like we've seen in the past, uh, you know, maybe more midfielders to try and shore up uh, depending on what NYCSC is doing. Um, but, when it comes down to the fact that, like, if you're down and you need a goal, uh, you're throwing the kitchen sink at them regardless. So it doesn't matter if if Is or Alvarado are ready or not. Uh, you're you're doing all you can to get a goal back, and those two guys are some of your better options right now. Whether they've had experience with the team, whether they've had preseason or not, they can go out there for 15, 20 minutes and run, and they have good enough ball skills, and and they've spent enough time with the team. That you can kind of be like, okay, well, they're not going to be a detriment,
1: and hopefully they can help you. Yeah, I mean, this is the playoff, so there is no next game when you're looking at what you're lining up. You're going to take the field, you're going to put out a lineup, and this is this game, and there is no tomorrow. So... That, you know, with that mindset, you have to be willing to use every piece that you have at your disposable at your disposal because the ultimate goal is to win the game really at all costs to survive in advance. you know I certainly don't doubt Oscar's um, ability to put guys like that that are not necessarily proven in these situations. It really all comes down to what he has seen in practice because obviously we haven't really seen much from them in games. And you guys don't get access to see anything in practice. So it's, I mean, it's really just up in the air at this point. It all comes down to what Perea sees. I
2: mean, do, do you risk being overconfident knowing that, let's say, you put a the, your best lineup ever? I mean, the best lineup so far of the season. Because, I mean, you're having players come back. You, you So you, you go in there really confident, you knock out New York City FC, right? And then potentially take on the Philadelphia Union in, in the next round. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, do you, do you play the long game here? Can, I mean, can you play the long game in in, in a playoff scenario?
1: No.
0: no, I I
2: think the the like way... Austin
1: said, I think it depends on what the score line is and how the game yeah. goes. Right, I, I think you you
0: play one game at a time. Right, like apparently uh, MLS is already calling Orlando City and being like, hey, you guys might host the MLS final. Like we gotta prepare for this, so uh, I mean, th- there's there's like this excitement. It's like, oh well, what if? But there, you can say what if as many times as you want. It doesn't, nothing matters unless you win the first game, and then nothing matters again until you win the second game. So you just go one game at a time. You can't plan for what could happen in these eventualities. You just go all out in the first game and hope you win the first one, and then move on to the second one and plan from there.
1: I mean, Daryl DK's first real appearances for Orlando were in the knockout stages of MLS's back. You know, a team that, by all accounts, they were desperately trying to win. So it shows that he is he's not, he's willing to put guys in there in big moments, even if they haven't necessarily performed in those moments before.
2: Yeah, you can see it. I, I did. I did like what Gavin said about what the game kind of calls. Because I mean, let's let's hypothetically say that Orlando City's up. Three nil by, by half halftime. Do you start first? You, I, I mean, you, you ask any coach. I mean, if I'm Oscar Pereja, you look for, for you're going to put some defensive subs right in, in going into that second half to close out that game. Mm, because you,
0: I don't, I don't think so. Like or, the way that Oscar has played the game,
2: whether they're up one
0: nothing or three nothing, he'll wait to see how the second half progresses before he starts making subs. Right well, out
2: of the game. Not, not necessarily saying halftime subs, but let's say it's three 0 I have time we're going into the mm-hmm. 60th minute it's still 3-0 i mean honestly you you look back at that nashville game those those i mean i think a reason why orlando lost that nashville game because you look at those changes that oscar made they were mostly offensive subs where where normally if you look back throughout the whole season more it, it, more more looking at the restart of the regular season after the mls is back a lot of those subs when when orlando was up were mostly defensive subs to kind of hold uh the scoreline cuz we, we remember we, we would see players like Alex Dejean go into those uh into the game the last few minutes Kamal Miller uh obviously John Matinia was injured um for most of the, the that second half of the season but i i mean i don't know i'm am really just curious to see how how the game kind of unfolds and and if it sw- well
0: l- let me put it to you this way so the the subs that Oscar made in that game was first off he took out Jordan Bender right at halftime for Tesho. Right? That was when it was still one one at half. Then Nani scores in the 61st, and basically ten minutes later, Benji comes in for Chris. That was the one offensive sub. Then they bring in Sebas Mendez and Joey Desart, two midfielders. Right? Then, when Nashville ties the game, they bring in Mateus Ayas. Right. And that makes those subs make sense. Right? Because you, you're you, you want to win the game, so you bring in a, a striker in the ninetieth minute to try and get one back and instead but they concede a goal. You could I have mean- say there
1: was a point too where the team was kinda short on depth when Zhao was out and Yuri was out and Perea was out and Kamal Miller wasn't really playing well and you couldn't call on him. So like a lot of the defensive guys were kind of already out there to the point where all they really had left were more attacking minded players to put into the game. Especially with the way that the, the team had to rotate, you know, like you said, playing those Wednesday, Sunday games pretty much every week.
0: Right. And there was also games where there was no offensive depth. Hmm. It was DK, Tesha was out, Mateus Ayas wasn't cleared. And, you know, the, they, they didn't have anybody offensively. So it, it's gone back and forth. I think Oscar has done a good job managing the subs um, based on, on what the need of the team is. Um, I don't think he's – he's. I, I can't put a finger on one sub and say, wow, he really got that one wrong, like just mm-hmm. off the top of my head. And I think yeah. that speaks a lot to, to what Oscar has done with this team this season. And I guess that can kind of lead us into the discussion of Coach of the Year. Um, today being Tuesday, Jim Curtin was named Coach of the Year by almost a landslide. And, and I, Gavin, you and I were kind of talking about this uh, on – the chat earlier we were surprised on how big of a margin it was Jim Curtin final voting percentage was 43% Oscar Pareja 24% so he finished second um but the big difference was the club voting percentage 53% in favor of Jim Curtin while only 19% was for Oscar Pareja uh, player voting also 33% for Curtin 20% for Pareja the media vote forty four percent to thirty two percent.
2: Wow, I like Gavin's take on Twitter. Uh, I don't know if Gavin remember what he tweeted earlier today, um, but it, he kind of you. you uh, Gavin brought up a good point where uh, how do you kind of you know, Oscar came here and put a team that finished pretty bad last year and turned it around with while Jim Curtin – I mean, he had a good season last year, too, and even had a better season this year. But how do you you you, you would normally award a coach of the year to a coach that's able to bring out the full potential of a, of a team? And obviously that didn't really pan out how accordingly. But obviously, that's that's my opinion. But uh, I mean, I don't know if Gavin wants to elaborate more. Well, on that. I, I,
0: I'll just add this very quickly. Since 2015, almost every single coach of the year that has been named has been the supporter shield winner. Whether they've done good or bad, if they win the supporter shield, they're most likely going to be named coach of the year. All right, going going through it: Jesse Marsh, Oscar Pareja in 2016, Vanny in 2017 with Toronto, Tata Martino in 2018 with Atlanta, Bob Bradley, LAFC last er, last year, and Jim Curtin this year.
1: Yeah, I mean it's. It it's, it all depends on how you define the award because, like you said, you can either say that the coach who had the best team is the best coach, and sometimes that's true because you could make a case that yeah, Philadelphia is clearly not on the same level that that LAFC team was last year. But at the same time, does Bob Bradley get all the credit when Carlos Vela is scoring thirty goals in the league? Like, how much of that is on the coach driving that team to success? And yeah, you know, that was the best team in league history, so there is some credit where credit is due. That's how you want to look at it. But then, like, the way I see it, like, the best coach of the year is the coach who, to me, got the most out of the team that they they had. And like we've talked about before, this Orlando City group, by and large, is very much the same team that James O'Connor had last year, minus a few players here and there. And yet he got more than anybody has ever gotten out of this club in one season. I mean, within a few months, he had Orlando City looking like the best team in the league. And if that's not a testament to how good of a job Oscar has done to, to put his mark, to throw his influence into Orlando City, to have them playing how he wants them to play, just like that, it's not that they were just winning games. They were playing really good soccer that we've never seen from this team before. So if you're going to, I mean, if you want to look at it, it's the coach who won the most games, then yeah, sure, that's fine. It's all, de- I guess it all depends on how you define, define that. Cause I mean, it's the same thing when you look at, you know, we can argue about all these awards, comeback player of the year, Bradley Wright Phillips won it for what, you know, Kevin Molino tore an ACL and came back and did all these things or like, you know, how, however you want to define that in versus who gets what and, and whatever, you know, I guess,
0: I guess I'm just in the minority all of these awards are based on three different cycles of voting it's player club and media uh-huh. so it's not just uh, you know the media saying oh this is our coach of the year it's not just the club saying this it's all of it tallied together uh, but when you go back and you know like i gave out the numbers for coach of the year um but when you go through and kind of look at some of the other numbers uh that have been for like other awards you have you know the, the bradley wright phillips thing um, it was like 39 to 21 at the final vote. You know, 40 percent of the players voted for BWP, 37 percent of the clubs voted for BWP, and 43 percent of media voted for BWP. Whereas Kevin Molino got 19, 28, and 17 respectively. That's not close. So it's 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 a matter of what the players like. The players are probably saying, "Oh well, BWP is." highly respected in the league and like he had a bad year and now he had a good year. So obviously he's the comeback player because of that. Yeah. Um, That's kind of where,
1: where I see a problem with that too, is because the players, players are not paying attention to every team in the league. You know, Mm -hmm. like these votes are going to come from what's in your bubble. If you're an Eastern conference player and you're only seeing other Eastern conference players, or you're only seeing mainly the three or four teams that you played four times this year, like that's where your like the the opinions are obviously going to be biased. So like like you said, it's probably all people that are watching BWP up close, people that have seen him play, that know him well, as opposed to guys that don't really know Kevin Molino because he's maybe not uh you know the kind of player that BWP is, or he's not you know loud or whatever. So it's biased in a way that other you know voting in other leagues is not to that extent.
2: I, I I I have to I have to agree with that because I mean you, you look at this year in general uh, in terms of media coverage on these two particular players the BWP and Kevin Molino I think I I read I to say I read more because there was there wasn't that many but I read more articles on BWP and this is articles from MLS and in the Athletic more articles on BWP and how his comeback I mean how he kind of felt how it ended with Red Bull last year and how that kind of spurred him to this moment with LAFC. i read more on that than really Kevin Molino uh, this year. So I'm, I'm curious to know if that kind of played somewhat of an influence in, in the decision because more people were reading about WP than Kevin Molino. But obviously you look at Kevin Molino's story. And I don't think it was shared enough, or at least to the magnitude of BWP. But if, if you know Kevin Molino's story, yeah, t- 10 your ACL, what, once, twice, I think? And then coming back and, and putting on a really good season with Minnesota, and Minnesota's back in the playoffs again? I, I think that's worthy of a of a comeback player uh, of the year award. Yeah, I
1: mean, even look at the MVP race. People are talking about guys from the big market teams that get all the attention and Chris Mueller has comparable numbers, but he plays for Orlando, and nobody writes stories about Orlando City, so he's not in the discussion. So that's kind of everything I mean, in a nutshell. I mean, just, here's here's the thing, like, it's, it's, uh, it's
0: a narrative-driven yeah. league. When there are narratives to be written about, those are the stories that will get the numbers, get the selling points, and those are the stories that people will click on. And, I mean, Mike, you and I have been around... Uh, a long time Gavin you too like we we've seen the way MLS writes stories how they want the narratives to be driven a certain way and so that kind of lends itself to where the votes came from <laughs> because the narrative was pushed that way like you said there were more votes there were more uh stories about Bradley Wright Phillips than Kevin molino by a country mile
1: far more stories about Brendan Aaronson than Daryl Dike and look who finished above Daryl Dike and young player of the year
0: right but also you had Aaron since getting sold off for a significant right. amount of money and that was made a big deal by MLS because you know one of our players is getting picked up by a big club at such a young age whoa wow mm-hmm. you know but that um,
2: th- th- that type of narrative I mean it makes you wonder and it leads to the question and obviously this question is going to have a different a different answer from whoever you ask but it begs the question has orlando city has orlando city won the respect across mls and if not I mean, what do they have to do? Because I, I remember asking Oscar Pareja after that MLS Cup back final if Orlando City won the respect of, of the league because, you know, Austin kind of hit, uh, Austin spoke about it right there. You, you really don't see that many Orlando City articles on the national level. Um, you, you didn't really see that much this year either. And Oscar Pareja was like, well, that's up to the media. That's up to you guys, the analysts, to decide. Um, so, I mean, does, does Orlando City have to win a Silver Award to finally kind of change the narrative a little bit? 100%. I think
0: the way that the last five years have gone, one good season does not change the mind I'll of i say everybody. it's the
1: fastest way to get there. Uh,
0: yeah. I mean, it is the fastest. You win an MLS Cup championship. It's like, okay, yeah, we respect right. you now. They but can but carry it over the next playoffs, season, then, like,
1: then they start to build that reputation.
0: Right. But like like I said last week to, to Gavin, making the playoffs is at this point the bare minimum. Right. Just because they made the playoffs means absolutely nothing. In the grand scheme of things, because every other team is expected to make the playoffs every year, any any half decent team is expected to make the playoffs every year, and the fact that Orlando has done it once and then is saying, "Oh well, let's respect them because they're so good," it's one year. You know, you have to put together a number of years together to get the to garner the respect of everybody around the league before you can say, "Hey guys, why why aren't we getting the respect we deserve?" Because I hate to say it like that, but that's the way that the league is, yeah, is going. Yeah, it's also.
1: Right, you have to have consistency. It's also a year in which two thirds of the league made the playoffs. The schedule was so unbalanced that there's really no fair way of judging these teams collectively. They played the same teams over and over again. So, like, there are so many different ways that you can look at it. Now, it, you know, one way, yes, Orlando City played well and they finished fourth in the Eastern Conference, which is not an easy thing to do, but, you know. Yeah, it's one year, and we'll we'll just have to see.
0: I, I just want to do this very quickly, kind of get your guys' thoughts on uh, awards of the year, since we're talking about awards and, you know, how biased they could be. Let's not be biased. Let's talk about our awards for Orlando City. Uh, I want to know your best defender for this team this year. And this could go very much two ways. I would say Robin Janssen and Antonio Carlos are probably – Very equal, but I want to know which one you think is better and why. Mike, we'll start with you.
2: Uh, My first choice is it's hard because you you kind of my first choice would go Antonio Carlos and then Robin Janssen, but both that center that center back pairing they complement each other. I think they they they, they've shown it all season. They obviously the language barrier is not there, but remember, if you, you you look back earlier in the season, Robin Janssen said he's learning some Portuguese and some Spanish. So he's able, uh, I mean, uh, Robin is putting that effort to, to, to work with his back line. And, but obviously then again, you look at Antonio Carlos and how he may, was able to come in. Uh, obviously he's a loanee. Maybe he, hopefully we'll see what happens in the off season. He, he comes back, but I think Antonio Carlos takes away because he's, he's been a main pillar. He's, he obviously Robin Johnson was here last year, but I, I don't know. I, 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 there's something about Antonio Carlos that is the difference maker in that back line and with Orlando's, Uh, defense fair enough I yeah okay yeah I'm
1: gonna go ahead and agree with that and I think Jansen maybe gets more of the spotlight because he's the guy that is making those big tackles and he's the guy that's chasing def- chasing attackers down and he's making the big plays but he's also more susceptible to making the bigger mistakes which leads to Antonio Carlos having to be the guy that kind of steps in and clean up his messes from time to time and like Mike said he is more so the pillar of that back line to the point where if you take him out this pro- the season probably goes maybe not a lot different but significantly noticeably different than the way it did with Antonio Carlos back there.
0: I the the way I would say and my choice is also Antonio Carlos. The way I would say it is Jansen was here last year, the defense was mm-hmm. improved. But then when Antonio Carlos came, it improved significantly. I think that Robin Jansen is a good complementary player to a guy like Antonio Carlos who can who has the legs to run around who has the the aggressiveness to track down balls and make very kind of uh I wouldn't say dangerous tackles but you know he he gets into players he doesn't just kind of play it smart he plays it aggressively yeah. smart and I think that that leads to a better defense where you have two players that are kind of complementing each other rather than two players that are just very good mm-hmm. you know that was the one thing that Orlando was missing last year when it comes to defense, I would say outside of Pedro Golese is just a player that complements Robin Janssen. And I think that it goes both ways where Janssen complements Carlos and Carlos complements Janssen. But I still think that because of the way that this team has played defensively since they got
1: Antonio Carlos, it has to be saying, him. Antonio Carlos is also a huge upgrade over Lamine Sane
2: and a lot cheaper yes. probably. Yeah. Yeah, that's. Yes. Well, we don't know yet. Very Maybe his so. value went up after this season. But. Well, he's also on loan. <laughs> he's
0: not even bought by this team yet. So there you go. All right. Uh, let's talk about midfielder. This is uh, not including Mauricio Pereira.
2: Oh, come on. I, I, no, no, no. That, that's Because that's too easy.
0: Are you kidding me? So we're going to choose the second best midfielder in the team? Okay. Okay. Central <laughs> midfielder, not attacking midfielder. Okay, <laughs> let's specify that. Central midfielder. Who is your best central midfielder?
2: Who goes first?
0: I, I I'm just trying to I'm just trying to make it not so easy because the easy choices like we're all going to agree on. But like okay. the central midfielders,
2: uh, Mike, uh, Junior Urso. That's that's my pick. Um, I think if Yuri Rosal would have been healthy, I think he would have mm-hmm. been a a a worthy. I guess he would have been there competing with him, but obviously, uh, you, you didn't see that much of Uri. Sebastián Méndez, uh, I, I, look, the, the guy, the, I really, you know, he, he, the whole team, I mean, keep in mind, this is the best ever Orlando City season ever right now. I mean, Oscar Pereira literally set the bar high. So, obviously, every player is going to have their, their flaws, every player is going to have their pros. Uh, so, uh, I mean... Sebastián Mendes, you know, I, I would rate him as the, thir- the third option. But I mean, there, there's a lot of times where you saw Seba's making a lot of careless giveaways, careless mistakes. But mm-hmm. Junior Orso, the way he's just been able to kind of play as a six, uh, play as an eight. I mean, I think he, he, he's he he's just all over that pitch. Um, I I think a player to look out for in the future if he comes back, Andres Perea. But Junior Orso is my pick. He's just he's another. I think when we look at this team and we break it down, uh, there's 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 main pillars. Uh, Antonio Carlos is the main pillar in that back. Junior Orso is in the mid, and then when when Austin wants to start going into more up the field, I'll, I'll say who's the other pillar. But to me, it's Junior Orso, without, without a doubt. Yeah,
1: and you know. Austin, you said you didn't want to make this this obvious, but i I'd probably have to go that same way too. I mean, behind Mauricio Pereira, Yuri is probably the second most important player in Orlando City's midfield, but because mm-hmm. he has missed the last 13 games, you can't really say that he's been the best player for them this season. Now, if you want to judge by the eight games mm-hmm. that he started, yeah, he's probably been the best central midfielder, but... Obviously Junior or so has been there all season and he has the the resume to to back that up. Um but like Mike said he's very important a guy that can do on both sides of the ball. He's just constantly around and he's constantly near the action. And if you take him out along with Yuri, then Orlando City's midfield tends to struggle quite a bit. Right. And I, I would say
0: like Mike hit it on the head with Sebas where he's prone to giveaways. Uh-huh. With Uri, he just wasn't in it enough. And even bringing in Andres Perea into that, I think he was put more under a microscope because he was and, and is 19, now 20 years old. Uh, I think Perea played well enough. Like He, he and Junior Urso played the most amount of games out of any other player for Orlando City this season, and that speaks a lot to having trust in a 19-slash-20-year-old player for Oscar Pereja's sake, where Andres not only started, but also came off the bench, played in a variety of different roles for this team through the midfield. That being said, I think that Junior Urso has also played the same amount of games, has also shown that consistency, but also that veteran leadership that Orlando has needed in the midfield with Uri Rosell gone. And he has stepped up in a big way, not only offensively but also defense. I was gonna say,
1: Andres was also asked to play a lot more advanced in the midfield when Pereira was out a lot, and that's not exactly his mm-hmm. strength. So that kind of hindered a lot of his performance because he was forced to do more than he's probably capable he, of doing.
2: I, I mean, uh, you look at Andres Pereira. He he was he, besides the fact that he's very versatile in that midfield. He played what so many. He played so many roles. He played as a six, box to box, as an eight. There was a time when Mauricio Pereira was gone. He was playing as a 10, but that wasn't that great. Uh, I mean, Austin knows this, and to, to, to the listeners listening, I, I had a story originally ready to write on Andres Pereira when he was playing more as a 6, more in that central midfield. But then Mauricio Pereira went out, and he went up to a 10 and didn't really have a great outing playing that that higher up in the field. So that, that story was pretty much dead. But... Um, but obviously junior urso um going back to my pick that that he was i think he was able to kind of hold that midfield down and kind of put Andres Perea under that wing and it just shows the influence that that urso has um with most of his uh, teammates he, he was even he captained some games as well too so
0: he sure did all right um i'm just going to go through the obvious picks and I, I, I if you disagree like feel free to say but i feel like Attacking midfielder Mauricio Pereira, winger Chris Mueller, striker Daryl D. K.
2: Yeah, uh, all of the above. Agree. Yes.
0: Yep. Yeah. See, that's that's pretty obvious. I think really the only biggest like contentious pick would be center back and defense. You know, because I mean, you you got to give credit to Juan, who has you know he's been a difference maker, but I, it's hard to classify him as a defender because he's just
2: so impactful up of the field he's gotten better defending i mean besides the fact that he, he likes to dribble backwards sometimes uh yeah, no no but like but that's the thing like he's
0: gotten better but he's still culpable for something yep. he's like much more better used as a wing back rather than a a defensive right back yeah you know I so agree. it's hard to pick it's hard to pick a right back as your best defender especially when the center backs have done so much work and it they are arguably both up for Defender of the Year, not only in Orlando City but in MLS. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's that. That pretty much covers all our, you know, team awards. Because Pedro Galese, is is <laughs> he's the goalkeeper of the year because he he was you know the biggest part of uh, Orlando saving some games.
2: Yeah, the Atlanta, um, Inter Miami, the the, the the header on target. L- let me
0: let me ask you about this. Outside of Daryl DK. Who would be your young newcomer, newcomer
2: of the year?
1: Probably Andres Perea. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. I, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean keep in mind, uh, we, him and Perea and Ursa are the only players to play all 23 regular season games this season. Not counting Diamandis' back because I didn't go that far into the stats, but all 23 regular season games uh, mm-hmm. Perea played. Um, and as Austin said, that shows how much trust Oscar Perea has on. Under so he would be my second pick for um for that award that Austin just, just mentioned.
0: Yep. Um last one I'll ask outside of Daryl DK as well, who's been the biggest surprise for you this season?
1: Outside of DK.
0: Mm hmm. because he's
2: pretty much the obvious choice. I'm gonna see Kyle Smith. Yeah, that's what I was going as well. Kyle Smith has I mean, you, you were you, he was I mean he was an afterthought when, but, when James O'Connor was fired. Exa- everybody thought no, he was going I- with exactly him. like I, I I my biggest question was going into the season was how is Oscar Pareja going to deploy Kyle Smith in that lineup? And obviously, Joe was was out was an injury, and the, I mean the opportunity was there to seize it. And Kyle Smith, the tax man, the accountant, he seized it. <laughs> so. I mean, that's my surprise. Uh, I think he showed how much value and how much of an asset he is to the team.
1: I think for me, my biggest surprise is probably been Chris Mueller. Just to the fact that we're, we kind of keep trying to figure out where this kid's ceiling is. And it feels like every year that ceiling has gotten higher and higher. And this year it got to the point where it's like, all right, now this kid's getting constant talk for the national team. He should be in the MVP race. Like, Where is the ceiling for Chris Mueller? So for me, it's kind of been uh, kind of surprising to just continue to see this kid take even more and more steps towards being one of the budding elite players in this league.
0: Yeah, I I think I I would agree to that to an extent. But I think you also said it where Chris Mueller has been progressively growing each and every year. So this seemed like the logical next step for his career um, where he would just, you know, his numbers have been progressively growing. I think he took a bigger step than most people anticipated, but the way his career has been going, you knew this this next step uh-huh. was coming. So that's why it's it's kind of less of a surprise in a well, way. Well, because he got off to a great start uh, last
1: year and then just died off in the second half. This year it was constant right. I think,
0: through. I think it, it helped that the the game's were like either not shorter, but like there were less games. I mean, it's also Oscar
1: Perez um, knowing how to use him and really utilizing to the best of his uh, natural ability as well. Correct,
0: correct. I think that's also a big and he'll say the same uh, thing. Right, I think a lot of people have said how much Oscar has helped them throughout this season, uh, not only mentally but also physically, and and just getting their their best capabilities out on the pitch. Mm-hmm. So there you go. All right. Uh, is there anything else we really need to talk about?
2: Uh, potentially the uh, that Pedro Gallese hey, and Sebas Mendes might play. Yeah. This Saturday. We mentioned
0: that earlier, though. Okay.
2: That, uh, that we we went. We, I think we went more than we were supposed to record. So that may <laughs> have kind of. I mean, it's it's
0: it's, it's, it,
1: it's whatever at this point. I'm just trying to cover all our bases. Um, but like
2: Louisville,
0: I said, we
1: talked a lot about it. Yeah, Louisville took a couple of pride players off their hands that they weren't going to get back. So there's that. True. That was like that whole Louisville draft was such a huge surprise where they just
0: they basically just went and took players that like are never coming yeah. back. <laughs> so, um they they picked Alana Kennedy and Caitlin Ford from the Pride and Alana Kennedy I like she's probably going to be ending up staying with mm-hmm. Tottenham and Caitlin Ford she hadn't even played a game for Orlando. I don't know the Potential of her playing a game for Racing Louisville, uh-huh. uh, and then they they ended up taking Tobin Heath and Christian Press. Yeah, I mean,
1: I wonder if that's a long term play with with um, Angel City coming in next year. It's like, do you just maybe take a chance and you know maybe they come play for you or they don't, and now all of a sudden you've got a pretty good trade commodity for when Angel City comes in, and it's like, hey, we'll take. Kristen Press and Toby Heath off your hands for you.
0: Yeah, it's almost like he's just playing yeah. the long game at this point.
2: Speaking of Louisville, they the Louisville City uh, have a new logo. I like this I one did, a lot more than the, than the last rebrand they did.
0: I think I think everybody yeah. does. A lot of people were like, I was kind of trolling through Twitter a little bit, just looking at some of the replies, and people were like, Yeah, it's it's better than the last
1: one. I guess but. I believe it's the same guy. The guy who did it was the same person who did the Racing Louisville one, um, and that one everyone universally loved.
2: That was a good one. Right. That was a good one. I think it was logo day today too, because the, the Houston teams also got new logos. Yeah so. a lot of people just dropped their logos I think I today. think we should drop a new logo. <laughs> <laughs> they,
1: <laughs> part two.
0: There yeah, there you go. No, this is like part three. Yeah, yeah, that's true. No? Yes. It's our third brand. Yeah. This would, would be yeah, it would be part three if we were to rebrand again. We gotta follow the trend. <laughs> no. We're trend breakers, not trend followers. Exactly.
1: We'll go back in time and go back to our old branding. (laughs)
2: Clip art.
0: Yeah, just some guy holding up a sign. Yeah, just Just just, an image we found on Google. Yeah, just an official holding up a four. (laughs) (laughs) anyways uh, i think that'll do it for this episode thanks for tuning in to another edition of the orlando soccer show hopefully next week we're here talking about an orlando city win and how they're playing the philadelphia union in the next round or maybe there's another upset and philly don't win right out of the gate maybe it's maybe it's miami or maybe it's nashville or maybe new england montreal who knows real quick
2: when is that game again friday friday
0: Friday being the, the oh, which game are you talking about? Orlando City. Oh, yeah. That's Saturday at noon. Just I was for, talking about Nashville, Miami and that, and I was saying, yeah, that game's Friday. Those games are Friday.
2: Yep, yep. Playing ones, and then Orlando yep, City. Playing
0: ones are Friday, and then Orlando City's game Friday,
1: or Saturday, at noon. It it the
2: Friday yeah,
0: Friday
1: Philadelphia now. doesn't play until the 24th, which is what, like Wednesday? Tuesday. Or Tuesday, yeah.
0: Yeah, it gives the teams so. on Friday the ample opportunity to rest players so that they don't have to like, you know, be at a disadvantage playing against the best team in the league, mm-hmm. which is fair. But yeah. whatever. Anyways, that'll do it. Thanks for tuning in, for Mike and for Gavin. I'm Austin. Follow us on Twitter at Orl Soccer Show and follow these guys at Gavin Eubank at by Micromajo and be at Austin David Twenty Two. And that's it. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.